Good morning, Redemption Tempe. Name is Warren. I'm one of your pastors. I'm glad to be with you as we are continuing our series and things are flying out of my pocket um, through the book of Isaiah in the series that we're calling The Servant King. So growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to talk smack and trash to people. Some of you guys aren't surprised because I'm still doing it today. But I would say my high school years were like my prime years for this. This is when I was like deeply formed in the art of trash talking. (laughs) And so, you know, I wish I could say that we were reading um, emotionally healthy spirituality and doing spiritual formation in high school. But reality is we were more into just toxic masculinity. And um, we were out to just kind of prove how tough we were, right, through the art of smack talk. And we had, uh, we didn't have like somebody like Tim Keller in our ear. It was more like a Curtis Jackson, otherwise known as 50 Cent. Um, and so, you know, I would often, the problem would be is that I would often talk smack to people that I had no business talking smack to. High school, I was like 140 pounds, right? Same size head, smaller body. <laughs> soaking wet, and I would go and run my mouth off at people that were like double my size, way taller than me, um, older than me, uh, stronger than me. And so there was one particular situation where this happened, right? It was one situation like this. It was in high school, and I think um, we were like in between classes, and I saw one of these older upperclassmen, and I made fun of him. I probably said something like, what are those? Or I don't know. It was like something about maybe I made fun of his mom. I I don't know. Something I'm not proud of today, clearly. But I made fun of him and, you know, I was feeling good about myself. My friends were laughing. Everyone was laughing. And I go to class and actually this dude like follows me to class. Right. And class has already started. And he comes in and he goes, Warren, I heard you were talking a lot of trash and smack. We'll see if you could back that up after school. And so in the moment, I'm being honest, I was kind of afraid. Right. Because. I knew that he, just, he didn't want to, like, have a chess match or something after school or, like, have a foot race or something like that. He wanted to box, you know? He wanted to box, um, an unsanctioned boxing match after school. And so I was like, oh, this, this isn't good. Like, this isn't good for me. Clearly, look at me and look at him. If they were the Vegas odds makers here, they would put all the odds towards him. And so... Um, I was like, all right, what am I going to do? And I think I, I, I talked to my friends. I was like, guys, we have a fight after school. And they were just like, we? <laughs> I was like, man, who needs enemies? You got friends like this, man. Goodness. And so I'm freaking out, right? The day's winding down. I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then it occurred to me. I remember I had to do what I always do in these situations. Always did when I found myself in situations like this is I would text my older cousin. My older cousin, his name was Toos. It's like Deuce with a T, Toos. And Toos was a skilled competitor out there, right? He and his friends, like reaching out to them was basically like Ubering for a group of fighters. Like you would just (laughs) dial them up and they'd come. And so again, yeah, didn't have an older brother, but he was like an older brother to me. And so I was like, all right, let me reach out to him and see if he can come, right? And back in those days, I had to start early because we had T9. So you guys, some of you guys don't know about the T9, but it would take a while to be like, hey, can you come? Like that would probably take at least an hour to type that out on T9. 
And so uh, I'm typing that out. I'm like, hey, can you come? And then he responds, yes, yeah, I'll be there. And I'm telling you, it changed everything. Changed everything, right? Just getting that text totally changed everything, all the way I was feeling. I feel like even as the day was winding down and the class periods were going, I started to flex muscles I didn't even have. I was like, oh, you know, like no muscles at all, you know, just like feeling so much more confident, chest puffed out. I was like, yeah, we will see after school, right? And it's just the reality, like getting that text from Toos, knowing that he would come, knowing that like he was going to bring his friends and that like I actually had a chance in the midst of everything I was afraid of, totally changed everything, all the fear that was in my heart, eradicated as I remembered the character and actions of my bigger cousin. And he did win that day, by the way. <laughs> you see, say that to say, because this is a good image as we are going to be diving into our passage today. Today, we are going to be encountering a people who are afraid, people who are in fear. We're going to encounter the people of God as they are in fear um, in their circumstances of being in exile in Babylon. And the question we'll be exploring is this, how does remembering the character and actions of God help them as they encounter fear, right? And it's gonna be the question for us today too, as the people of God encounter fear, right? In their lives, in our lives today, how does remembering the character and actions of God help us, help shape the way we respond to fear? And so that's what we'll be looking at today. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you um, for your word. God, we thank you for these opportunities we get each week to hear from your word, to get wisdom and direction and uh, just the beauty of your spirit moving among your, among your people. And so, Lord, guide our time today. Um, God, I pray you would just empty us of distraction and uh, you would open up our hearts and minds to receive uh, the beauty of your word today. Your name, amen. All right, so we are gonna start off in Isaiah 43, and we are gonna go from verses one to the beginning of verse five. It says this, but now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, excuse me, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through, the, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. First thing we see is this. When you are tempted by fear, what you must remember what we all must remember is that God is with us. God is with us. So Israel, Israel, the people of God, they were afraid because they had now thought that God had abandoned them, right? As we look through chapters 43 and 44 of Isaiah, we'll see is God just reminding his people over and over again of who he is, right? The actions that he's taken on their behalf because the spot that they were in, the circumstances that they were in were so bleak that they had come to believe, right? Because they were dragged off into exile, 
right? Maybe they have the images of their minds, of their homes torn down, destroyed, the temple, the representation of God's presence with his people destroyed. And so with these images in their mind and the present circumstances of them being in exile, right? They're like, can, can God be with us in this? I mean, just look around. Look at the things that we are facing. How can God be present with us in this? And so God sends this word out to his people, right? He says, I am with you in this. You must remember my character, my character that I love you because I love you. You must remember the length that I have gone for you in my love. You remember when you were in Egypt enslaved for 400 years under the backbreaking hand of Pharaoh? Do you remember how I delivered you and rescued you and freed you from that? I brought you through the waters. I brought you through the sea and crashed the sea, crashed the waves upon the people that were pursuing you. Do you remember how I've turned the world upside down to be with you? Right, even though you may think that now you have gone too far, that this present situation is just too much for me to be present, I'm still with you, still gonna be with you. Even if your sin has led you to these circumstances, right? Ultimately, my presence with you is not predicated even on your actions. It's, I love you because I love you. You are precious in my eyes. You are still honored. And so God lays out that he has this plan to redeem them. While they may be scattered in exile, while everything may seem to be going on all wrong around them, God's presence remains with them. Just fear not, I never abandon my people. And in that, you know what? God wants his people to get just the reality, right? That wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we have the power of presence. We have the power of God's presence and there is a huge power in presence, right? I was reminded of this last year. So um, on Fridays, Ellie and I, Elliot's my daughter, um, we, we have what we call daddy Ellie days. Um, and Jordan, my wife, she works. And so it's just her and I, so my daughter and I, and we try to find something new to go out and do in the city, something fun to get us out the house and do something. And so on one of these Fridays, we chose to go to uh, Giggles in Chandler. Uh, some of you guys know that because I see you there sometimes. Um, <laughs> so we were going to Giggles and it's an indoor playground facility because, you know, in the summer, you can't take your kids to an outside playground. That's like child abuse. And so um, we, were going to end, we were going to Giggles and uh, I, I parked, I pulled up, put my... Uh, the, the backpack, you know, with all the stuff in it. That's how you know I'm like, oh man. Uh, <laughs> I put the backpack with all the stuff in it, feeling like super dad, um, walking. And I started to walk towards the entrance of Giggles. And just like right before I was about to walk in, I saw this lady, right? This lady's like standing outside of her car. It was like a 2022 suburban matte paint, tinted windows. That has nothing to do with anything. It was just a nice car. Um, <laughs> and, and so she's just standing out there. She's freaking out. She's going, she's freaking out. She's like clearly frantic, right? And so I'm like, okay. I went up to her, I was like, hey, w- what's wrong? What's going on? And so she told me um, uh, that 
she had gotten out of the car and was getting ready to get her kids out of the car. But when she closed the door, she hadn't realized that her keys were still in the car. And when she closed it, the door was like locked. Kids locked inside the car, middle of summer, right? And so, oh man, it was like, she was going crazy. She doesn't know what to do. She's like freaking out, obviously, because her kids are in there and um, you know she doesn't have a way to open the door. And so like, you know, in moments like that, I think sometimes we think in our head, we'll know like the perfect thing to say, you know? But in that moment, I remember telling her, I was like, well, you know, I have Geico, right? (laughs) I'm telling you, she gave me the weirdest look that I think I've ever received in my life. It was like, are you gonna call the gecko to come and help us or something? (laughs) Like, is the, the caveman going to come and bash my windows open? Like, and, and so after that moment, um, she was just like, hey, can you just like stay here? Right? Can you just stay here until I get this figured out? And so I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so stayed there. Eventually she called her husband. And end of story, what happened was like one of her kids realized that mom wasn't playing like a crazy game of charades or something. And like they actually needed to open the door. And so her daughter opened the door and she got out and, um, you know, crisis averted. Um, but as I was walking into Giggles, right, as I, was, as I was reflecting on all of that, everything that had just transpired, I was like, man, what was most valuable to her in that moment, what was most valuable to the uh, uh, fear and anxiety and the stress of that moment was the fact that I was there, was the fact that I was present. I didn't even, I clearly didn't have good solutions, <laughs> right? But I was there. I was there. I was present with her. Right, as we think about our relationship to God, the most valuable thing in our lives is that God's presence is always with us. And he is not offering solutions like me. He's actually able to give us a strength that we don't have in ourselves to endure all sorts of things. Give us a peace through the craziest circumstances that we may experience in our life. See, this is what God wants his kids. He wanted his kids who are locked in Babylon. He wants us who may be locked in all sorts of seasons in our life. We may feel like we're locked in seasons of of pain or hardship or sickness or just like the everyday grind of life. My life is a grind, right? You go to school, work, you're dropping kids off here, dating, uh, all sorts of different spheres. There's just feel like a grind from day to day. And then sometimes you wonder, well, I'm going through all this, but is there anybody here with me? Is there anyone that actually cares about the things that I've been thinking, feeling, maybe struggling through? I want you to know that God wants you to know that his presence always remains with his people. Wherever you are right now is not a place that's off limits for his glory and presence to be experienced, wherever you are. There is no place that's off limits. There are no Lion King elephant graveyards, right? It's like, God is here, but he's not in Peoria. It may feel like that, but he's he's there too. God's presence everywhere. This has always been God's promise to his people. The promise was never that life was gonna be easy that everything in life is just gonna work out perfectly if we believe in God. That was never the promise that he's made, but he's always made the promise, right? The promise of Jesus was what? I will be with you 
until the end of time. And so we know that we, when we draw to him, as we draw near to him in whatever the place is that we're at, whatever the thing that we're feeling, that we're all alone, that he will meet us there. We can experience him through his presence, his presence through his word and prayer and community and creation. We can experience this peace wherever we are. You see, the problem that happens right, often is it's not that God has abandoned us. What happens is that we forget God. God doesn't forget us. We forget him. What happens to us? The, the, the tyranny of the obstacle in front, of front of us causes us to totally lose perspective on so many things. We forget all the many ways, even, that God has answered so many prayers that we've prayed. If we think back on our life, if we look at the greater perspective of our life and the things we prayed for and the places we are today, we'll see God's faithfulness, no question. God has answered a lot of prayers. And I know sometimes that I can't be the only one who is sometimes complaining in the midst of answered prayer. God, I've prayed for something and God's like, great, answered it, right? And then I'm like, God, but still, it's not as easy as I thought it would be. My God, it's not the way I, I wanted it to be. And God's like, you prayed for this. Here you are. Thankfully, he knows how he he knows how we are. <laughs> God is always making a way where there's no way. He, if we want to think about the clearest expression of God with us, we look no further than Christ. Right? Christ, as it's often said, is God moving into the neighborhood to be with his people. Right? Moving in to be with his people. He was called Emmanuel. He's God with us. Not God too far from us, God too disappointed in us, God who's too good to be around us. He is God with us. I know we all were watching that Super Bowl uh, last week. Sorry, Eagles fans. Um, but there's that commercial, right, that says he gets us. I like that. That was nice. I think that was a cool commercial. But if I had to tweak it just a bit, it's that he gets to us. God gets to us, right? If he just gets us and he can't do anything about it, right? That's nice, but it doesn't have an impact. But he gets to our heartbreak. He gets to our fears. He gets to the places, right, where we are weak. And he actually, like, works his power, right, to remove fear in our lives, to strengthen us beyond the strength that we have in ourselves. So God's presence is always the defense against fear in our lives. Amen? We want to remember that. We want to remember that because when we forget that God is with us, what happens? We turn in every single other direction. We can turn in so many other directions because we think, well, maybe God, if you're not in this, I have to look elsewhere. Let's pick up in Isaiah 44, 9 through 11, and then we're going to go to verse 17. It says this, all who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. 
that they shall be terrified, that they shall be put to shame together. And in verse 17, it says this of the idol worshiper, and the rest of it he makes into a God, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. Hmm. Second thing is this, when we are tempted to fear, right, when fear comes upon us, we must remember that our God is stronger than anywhere or any other place we can think to turn. God is stronger. So Israel, they were afraid, right? Because they had started to doubt the strength of God. Right? When they considered their circumstances, again, when they considered the fact that another nation was able to come and bring them into exile and to dominate them, right? They started to think to themselves, well, maybe this is too big for God to handle. Right? Maybe these Babylonian gods, right? These other gods out there, were the ones who came and proved themselves to be stronger than our God. And so fear is this big factor in their, their circumstances, right? And in that fear, there is this temptation again to turn to idols. There is this temptation to go, God, if you can't bring me out of this situation, maybe someplace or something else can. And so right in the middle of chapter 44, God, uh, Isaiah, right, uh, goes and goes on this like long section talking about the foolishness of idols, right? God wants them to get this clear picture of like what you're not going to do in this midst, what's not going to deliver you or save you out of your situation is turning to an idol. It's not going to work, right? He talks about just the foolishness of the idol worshiper. Their fear blinds their eyes to the reality, Right? They're trying to make this idol and say, oh, you are God, not recognizing that the things that came to make the idol came from everywhere else. So how could it be all powerful? How could it be all known? And they're crying out in fear or, uh, to their idol, as you see in verse 17, saying, deliver me, deliver me from whatever the thing I'm afraid of, not realizing that idols never fail to fail. And so what God says is this, this this is not an endeavor for you to put your strength towards. Don't put your time, don't put your energy towards this because it is only gonna lead to further futility. It's not gonna save you in the way that you think it's gonna save you. What you have to remember is that in the midst of this circumstances, it hasn't gotten out of my control. God is stronger than whatever the challenge or obstacle is that you'll face. And if we look at scripture and we look at the people of scripture who we would call to be, or we would say have been faithful, right? We see that they got this, right? They got this. You think about David, who we looked at in our series last year, We Want a King, when he was facing Goliath, right? Goes up against the Goliath. Goliath's, Goliath's a giant dude, right? Um, and the people are just afraid, right? They're, they're shook. They're shaking in their boots. And David looks at him and what does he say? He says, my God is stronger compared to my God. That's not a giant. That's like Muggsy Bowes. You don't know Muggsy Bowes, shortest basketball player who ever lived, right? right? But that's nothing to my God. Not a problem. I know my God has been faithful before and he will be faithful in this situation. He is strong. The three Hebrew boys, right? The story of three Hebrew boys who, because they chose to remain faithful, Right? They're commanded to go into a fiery furnace, right? And they say, you know what? 
We're not going to compromise when it comes to our faith. If it means that we have to go through this fire, we'll do it because we know that our God is stronger. And so send us in the fire. Let's get it hot. God's going to be there. And he was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny the goat. The early church, we see example after example. The early church, they're thrown to the lions. They're torn apart. They're crucified. And what do they say? It doesn't matter what you do to us, right? Because you can tear us from limb to limb, but nothing's going to separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And so do what you have to. We will never bow to Caesar. We will bow to God. Do what you must. And you know what? The cult of Caesar has gone away but we are still here worshiping God who's proved to be stronger time and time again. God is stronger, church. Is there some place in your life where you have started to doubt the strength of God? I say this, we may not say this explicitly. We may not say, yeah, I'm doubting God, I'm doubting you're stronger, but we should examine our worries. We should examine our anxieties. We should examine the sin that we've kind of given up on fighting in our lives. Those things may speak a story of, God, I don't think you're as strong in this area of my life. And what happens? Their fear causes you to turn to some idol and we end up implicitly praying that prayer that the idol worshiper prays. Deliver me for you are my God. Some have prayed to the idol of perfection this way. And they are praying the prayer that says, deliver me from the fear that if I don't have the perfect house, the perfect job, the perfect spouse, the perfect everything, right, then I just won't be good enough. Right, if I'm not in complete control when it comes to my life, my life will not be whatever I think it needs to be in terms of significance. And so what happens? You try to stay in control and what happens? You just end up more exhausted. And while you think you're perfect, no one around you feels that way, right? You're trying to craft this perfect version of yourself. And what God says is this, let me do that. Let me craft you because I'm going to craft you in a way that's going to be way better than anything that you can do for yourself. I know exactly who you were created to be. Stronger than your fear. Some of you have made an idol of safety and comfort. And what you are praying essentially is, deliver me from the fear of anything that's uncomfortable in my life. Deliver me from the fear of uncomfortable conversations, of uncomfortable forgiveness, of uncomfortable generosity, of uncomfortable places you may be calling me to be faithful, stand in my faith, uncomfortable interruptions to your life plan. And what God says is this, trust me, trust me. I am stronger than whatever you think the fear or obstacle is out there that's going to ruin your life. What we always have to remember is that when it comes to comfort, right, it has a place, but it's not the high aim of our life. The high aim of our life is being like Christ. And so we don't chase comfort at the expense of your soul. What I say is this, God has made us resilient people. And sometimes you may have to struggle through a season. You might have to actually cry your way through a season as he's shaping you and pruning you into the person he wants you to be. So if God has given, he's given us all a cross to bear, we can't run from it. 
We run towards it and say, God, I know that if this is something difficult in my life, you're going to give me the strength to endure. You'll do that. You see, we always want to vet the images in our mind as we go to work and go to parenting or all the different spheres in life. What are the images that play in your mind? Is there an image there that your life is surrendered to the care of God? (coughs) I need God to help me right now, man. I'm like, thank you for water. We always have to ask ourselves this. Have we surrendered our lives to the control of God who is stronger than anything else we face? And that is the truth. God is stronger. And God is with his people. He remains. He's been that in the past. We know his character and actions. And here's what we know. His strength and what his presence is not something that we've just experienced in the past and we're experiencing in the present and we don't know what the future is going to hold. What we're going to see is that God and who he is, the reality of who he is, remains forever. Let's uh, finish as we go to Isaiah 44, 24 through 28. It says this, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by himself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built and I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So lastly, this, as we face fear, what God wants us to remember is that he will ultimately be victorious. God will win. God will win. And so God's final reminder to his people as we wrap up 44 is just this. He says that he will win, that this situation that they're in has not caught him by surprise. He reminds them that he is the creator of all things. And if that is the case, then the future is not something that he's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was coming. Okay, let's see what we can do. Let's change the script. God's got it under control. And so although in their minds, all they can think about is their homes being destroyed, their cities destroyed, the temple destroyed, all they can think about are broken memories, but God sees this beautiful future for them. He says, I have a plan for you, even in the midst of everything that you're experiencing. I haven't given up, I haven't abandoned you, and not only am I gonna be with you, but I have a future designed for you. But he says this, in order, right? In order for them to remain faithful, in their Babylonian exile period, they're gonna have to trust him. They're gonna have to trust him. They can't turn their direction or attention to anyone else who says, oh, I have my thumb on the future. They can't turn to the diviners, right? The diviners like the astrologers of their day who maybe say, you know, because Mercury's in retrograde and you're a Pisces that this is what's gonna happen. Says, no, 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 that's not gonna be the way, right? You are gonna know of what's coming in the future. He says, the wise men, right? The wise men who are like, well, I've been reading the Jerusalem Times and you know, I got my finger on the NASDAQ and uh, I know exactly what's gonna happen. Just look at these. No, 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 right? They're like, buy my e-scroll. No, like 
God is going to be the one that commands their future. God's going to prove their wisdom to be foolish if they're trying to get ahead of him. And so he says, forget all that. Your future is secure because I said so. Your future is secure because I am the one who is in control of the future. And while those folks' words may fail, my words will never fail. My words will come to pass. And I have a plan to make your city beautiful again. I have a plan to see the temple uh, rebuilt and made beautiful again. I have a plan to establish you again. I have a plan to raise up a person you don't even know about yet. He's not coming until many years later, Cyrus. And Cyrus is going to be the one who's going to lead you back to Jerusalem and show that I've won, that my word does come to pass, and that actually happened. Cyrus was the one who led God's people back home. And so there's a confidence you can have, right? When you know who's in control of the future, when you know who's fighting for you, when you know who's with you. It's kind of like what Phoenix Suns fans felt last week when the Kevin Durant trade went down. And, you know, all the sportscasters were like, oh, might as well just end the season now. I was like, they got to read Isaiah 25, you know, 40 for 25 about foolish men. You know, you got to look at that. We'll see. We'll see. I told you guys, I talk smack. I, you know, here you go. Point case. But you know what? If I'm being honest, right? When I think about God's victory, when I think about God winning, if I'm being honest, there are more, many moments in my life where I actually don't live like God wins. I often live like there's this battle that still needs to be won. When I think about how I act, when I fall into that, right? It's like everything that I do becomes worse. I think about what, what I look like when I start to say, God, you haven't won and I have to go and get some victory, all right? Or know the right person who's gonna lead us to victory. I turn in every direction instead of trusting him. I notice I start listening to podcasters or YouTubers who say, we have the world all figured out. We have the world all figured out. And the real problem with the world is this group of people. And as long as this group of people just get on, get with the program, our world would just be a better place. And what happens as I listen to that? Contempt grows in my heart. Right? Love doesn't grow in my heart. Contempt grows. Because what happens is I start to say, yeah, they are the problem. Right? And I forget that I'm a part of the community of sinners as well. Right? I need God's grace. I notice I start to overwork and think that, you know what, if I don't, what I have to do is just get my life under just perfect control. And I got to be in control of every aspect of my life. And what happens is the people that I love that are God's blessings in my life, they just become interruptions because they're getting in the way of my big plan. Start to notice my prayer life just becomes seasoning, right? It becomes transitional versus the core of my life with God. Best way I could put it is Travis is my boy, right? And a couple of, uh, like a month ago, my car started to smoke because of uh, some, like it was cold. Uh, and that shows you, I know nothing about cars. And so instead of like going to him and actually asking him, I just poured oil into my car, oil everywhere, oil underneath the car, oil in the garage. And it was like, that's what happens. I just make a mess of everything. When I think that I have to go and be the one who wins in my life, lose perspective, lose control. I think my final question for us, right, as we 
get to the end today, is does your life reflect the reality that God wins? That his way wins, that his will will win, that his love will win, that his word will win. Because the confidence that the people of God have is just that, is that in Christ, God has come and got the victory. He's got the victory. He's defeated the worst of our enemies, sin, Satan, death. And we got to get this because if God doesn't win in our lives, then a lot of our life is, is meaningless, right? We should try to enjoy ourselves just as much as possible because what we know that we'll die with no hope and no, of no hope of salvation or eternity. But the fact that God wins, it changes everything. We can look some things in the face and say, you have no power over me. We can look death in its face. And if you're a follower of Jesus, death in itself is just another event in your eternal life. It doesn't have the power over us. We can look at people we don't like, right? People that we don't like, people that maybe we would even call an enemy and say, you aren't the real enemy. God has defeated the worst of our enemies. And so defeating you isn't my end game. How can I creatively love you? grace and in truth. We can look at sin and brokenness in his face and say, you won't have the final word over my life. The struggle I'm going through right now, it won't have the final word in your life. That whatever's happened in your past, it won't have the final word over your life. God has won. He has come in to restore you and every other part of our world that has been broken by sin. Trust in his victory. And I'll just say this. We need to hear this because when we face challenges, right, in our life, if we don't get that God wins, something else or somebody else will. And whoever else or whatever else that thing is that wins is where we'll put our treasure. It's where we'll put our time. It's where we'll put our effort. It's where we'll put our money. It's, where, it's what will determine choices in our life. If comfort wins, we'll make choices. If politics wins, we'll make certain choices. If uh, just all, all these other ways outside of God, if they are what wins, that's, that's how we will live our lives. That's what our lives will be shaped after. But if we believe that God wins, then we'll be faithful in everything he's called us to do, even the bleakest of circumstances, amen? God wins. He's not caught by surprise by the things happening in our life. There's nothing that's going to happen this year. He's going to say, oh man, we got to change and adjust or adapt to. God knows and performs the future. It's not a reality that's separate from him. And we can trust that he is going to claim ultimately victory over every single part of our world that is broken. That if we are in him, right, we are united in him then not only does he reign, but we reign with him into eternity. He is going to provide the victory over every single weakness, every single part of our world. We experience the fall. And we know is that he can handle it. He is with us. He is stronger. And he will win. So we don't trust in our striving because that'll never do it. We trust in him. Amen? Amen. Now we are going to come to the table. And as we come to the table, we remember this, that the victory of God, the victory of God in Christ came by way of the cross. On the cross, God nailed the worst of our enemies 
sin, Satan, death. Put them to death so that they can reign over us no more. And it's because of the cross that his spirit is actually able to be with us forever. That we have this abiding relationship with him that will exist into eternity. Our future is secure. He's with us now and he'll be with us forever, strengthening us like nothing else can. Because of his perfect love that cast out all sorts of fear in our lives, we have hope, hope of eternity. He gave his body and blood so that we can be with him. So we take communion, followers of Jesus take communion each week, remembering that, remembering the God who was with us, truth of who we are and who we belong to. And we respond with lives of worship towards him in every area of our life, recognizing he's there with us. So I'm gonna pray and I invite you afterwards to respond, um, taking communion if you're a follower of Jesus and, um, and singing, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that your presence is always with us, Lord. God, we thank you that, um, Lord, no matter the ups, downs, in-betweens of what we, we may experience in life, God, that we never go at it alone, that you are there, you are strengthening us, you are keeping us, and God, um, it's your perfect love that casts out fear. God, as we sang today, Lord, God, you haven't given us a spirit of fear. You've given us a, a spirit, God, love, control, sound mind, God. And so we pray that over our lives, God, that we don't have to be ashamed for the places we may have fear. We just need to bring it before your feet, knowing, God, that you meet us, God, and you allow us to experience the comfort of your presence. And so, God, I pray as we go out this week, in all the different areas, Lord, that we, um, God, just are, that you've allowed us to participate in, that you would just allow us, God, to do so faithfully, remembering that you're with us forever. All these things we ask in your name. Amen.